1: Welcome to the latest edition of the Mind-Gut Conversation podcast, a place to learn from thought leaders in the area of health and wellness, food, the science of mind-body interactions, and the environment. Today, I have the great pleasure to speak to Sono Shivdani, a visionary Indian wellness resort entrepreneur who is the CEO and founder of Soneva Fushi and Soneva Chani and other luxury wellness resorts in Southeast Asia. Sono is an Eton and Oxford graduate and two times cancer survivor and has realized his dreams in synergy with his wife Eva. Having just spent 10 days at the Seoul Festival on Soneva Fushi, which was co-sponsored by Soneva and Organic India, I'm still amazed at the scope and uniqueness of the experience touching every aspect of human life from the physical, emotional, spiritual and planetary. By talking with him, it became clear that this unique experience was a reflection of Sono's and Eva's own beliefs and core values. Welcome to the show, Sono. Sono, it's a real pleasure to talk to you again, even though we've just seen each other a few days ago. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you. Uh, I
0: mean, it's, a, it's a pleasure to... You know.
1: and having having just spent 10 days at one of your amazing resorts during the Soul Festival, I want to start this conversation with just a brief summary of of... impressions that i had from this experience and then sort of lead into the the first question so i'm I'm still amazed at the scope and the uniqueness of the experience so touching every aspect of human life from physical emotional spiritual planetary which is rare at meetings like that Um, and when talking to your guests employees and people that that know you well it became clear that the experience that we had is really a reflection of your own beliefs and and core values, um, in synergy with your wife Eva. So the first question is: How did you become this unique individual? What were the key life experiences that made you that person?
0: Right. Thank you for that question, um, and thank you for your compliments. You're you're, you're very kind. Um, and um, yes, so we've just spent 10 days on on the same island as bruce lipton <laughs> and so um you know he 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 spoke about how you're programmed you know up to the age of 7 and um i would say that that was an important part in terms of my father so um not so much my mother but but certainly my father um was a very strong influence on me he was definitely my secure base um, as I was growing up, and potentially my only secure base when I was young um unfortunately he passed away when I was thirteen, but whilst he was alive you know up to, um and certainly as I was being influenced um he played an important role so he was um he he, he had me quite late um i, I think he was about forty five he'd had one heart attack already um he was born in nineteen eighty and I was born in nineteen sixty five so he'd been 47 actually. So um, he had me quite late. Um, He'd had one heart attack in his life. Um, His career was at its most successful um, when I was growing up. Uh, But he'd gone through a lot um, during his life. He'd, um, he came from a background of civil servants. So his father was the governor, the British Raj had separated into India into four quarters. And his father was the sort of administrator, the Indian administrator of one quarter of the country, which was the, the northern part of the country. Um, and um, he'd gone some, through some ups and downs from being um, the son of a very influential individual, uh, influencing, uh, at least for the Indian population, a quarter of the the country in the north, to um, in 1947, on the 15th of August, suddenly realizing that they were the the, the wrong religion and wrong race in the wrong part of uh this this on the wrong land. So they had to just leave their homes. Um he'd had ups and downs in Cambridges, even in his career, he'd ups, ups and downs. And I think for him, um, he instilled sort of great moral values and um uh, a philosophy in life. Um he believed that um st- one's struggles and trials actually shape and define us. Um he was very much a god-fearing individual, so I think he 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 definitely played an important role in shaping my my my, my views uh, and then of course I met Ava so he passed away when I was 13. I was slightly rudderless uh my mother uh, was lost um she uh is very traditional she was very traditional um Indian so um the, the she sort of shrank once the, fa- the the husband had passed away and it was really my elder brother who led the family and so my elder brother and sister tried hard but they couldn't replace the role my father played. And then of course I met Ava and she became a a, a big influence in the Secure Base. Uh, and of course, there were also um, some really good experiences that happened to me, so um, I feel blessed. I hated prep school. I went to prep school at seven, which I would not recommend. Um, it was very much standard, you know, my, my father did nothing wrong. It was every every parent, at least in England in those days, would send their their children to prep school. and. Um, you know expect their their children to be beaten by the headmaster or the the master it was it was uh it was quite um yeah it was it was difficult you know you lost the the security the family the bond um you were there with lots of other people um it was quite strange at such a young age but um so i hated that um, until about the age of 11 uh, being of foreign origin as well i was teased a bit and i was a bit of an outsider but that shaped me as well but by the time i was 11 i had i made some good friends But then I went to Eton at 13 and that was one of the best things that happened to me as well. It was a fantastic school. Um, We had about 250 students in each year, Um, incredible uh, professors and uh, teachers, Um, a lot of freedom. So you had a lot of freedom to pursue your activities. The only thing you had to do is you had to use your time wisely um, and productively. And um, you would be rewarded if you did use it in, in a productive manner. But you had some of the best music schools for uh, a school of that age you had um, 20 pianos um you had a theater um center um it was a very you know rich well endowed school with lots of facilities um, great people i made met a lot of made a lot of great friends there so that was um that also had a big influence on me and then of course um you know meeting my wife
1: did did your father have any ideas what he wanted you to become
0: um yeah, I think he, he would hope that I'd followed in the family business, which was he was a very successful trading with Nigeria. By the time I graduated, the price of oil had dropped from about $40 a barrel to seven or eight. So, the, And the previous governments had, had been quite corrupt and had undermined the economy. And so the country was largely indebted. They had very little foreign exchange reserves and for um, the sort of business that my father had been in which my brother was running, it was a very difficult time, so um, it gave me an opportunity to to pursue new ambitions and dreams.
1: So before you met your wife, um, Eva, you really didn't have any of these ideas, which later then you, you you know, made a reality. I mean, this, it, it was much more a,
0: a yeah. class. It was admirable. No, exactly. So I, I didn't go to hotel school. Perhaps it was a good thing, uh, because I would have been conditioned most probably. So. Um, you know, I studied English literature, literature at Oxford because um, with English universities, you um, um, you don't really study uh, a métier. It's not like a polytechnic where you you study a skill that you then go on to pursue. At English universities, it's more the, the learning process. And I studied English literature because I enjoyed reading books. Um, as simple as that. I had no ambitions or uh, to be a journalist or to be a writer Um uh, and um, and so that's how I ended up there.
1: Okay. Um, so you have achieved some amazing accomplishments despite having to overcome several serious challenges to your own well-being, your health, your business success, um, all demonstrating a, a remarkable amount of resilience. Um, what has been your secret? Was that your upbringing? Was that your father's values or... Um yeah.
0: I, th- I think it's very important in difficult times to have a clear compass. You know, if you if you're in a storm and you're a sailor, um, uh, you're looking at the compass all the time just to make sure you're on the right direction, because you know, you you get it's it's very disconcerting and, and you you lose your perspective. So having a clear compass, and for us, um it's been this idea uh, ever since Ava and I started with Sunova Fushi, and even when we when we had the concept, um was the idea that companies need to have a purpose beyond simply enriching the two of us and paying employees a salary. And and so um, we used to articulate it differently. Uh, When we started, it was was all about creating unique experiences for our guests in a sustainable environment. Today, it's imaginative and engaging, slow life. Um, Slow life for two reasons. So slow life is an acronym because we have 30 to 40 languages amongst our hosts, Um, but also slow life just meaning um, this idea of offering our guests luxuries whilst minimizing our impact on the planet and at the same time enhancing the well-being of our guests. So taking these concepts that were opposite, so traditionally people would say, well, if it's um, if it's sustainable, it can't be luxurious, or if it's luxurious, it can't be terribly good for you, um, and taking wellness, sustainability, and luxury and showing that um, you can do something different. Um, and um, And we do that by questioning and challenging what is a luxury because... Luxury is a word that's always misused, you know, it's used so much. Um, I feel awkward actually using it myself, but um, it's the best descriptor of, you know, what I want to convey. But, you know, people sometimes refer to objects as luxury, like gold and gilt. But essentially, luxury is, um, it's a philosophy. It's something that's um, unique, something that you don't get every day, that's not commonplace, that's um, rare. You know, I'd say rare is the best word, something that's also new, that rings a Cord in your heart um, but also at the same time true it brings a chord in your heart when you try it and the context of the success of the change you know historically it was the landed gentry living in the countryside fresh air food privacy today it's the opposite they're urban Uh, our guests are urban they're self-made and just you might be the most successful man in england or have a 40-story building in india but can you walk barefoot for a week or have that salad that was plucked from the garden that morning or watch the stars through one of the largest telescopes wherever we operate and have someone like Buzz Aldrin, the second man on the moon, who's been a few times as an enthusiast, explain his journeys or our resident astronomer explain this fantastic universe out there or watch a movie but, where the-
1: Was this uh, a totally new concept when you started this or were there other examples or, or I mean, how did you come up with this?
0: Um, well, back um, you know, Ever and I sort of, um, uh, both used to spend our summers in the Mediterranean uh, my father loved boats, so I'd spend my summer on a boat. Ava's father had a boat, so you know, on a boat you're, re- you're very much barefoot. So we were very used to uh, both of us um, being barefoot on holiday uh, in the sun. So it, it was it was natural that um, the first thing we'd do when, when guests arrived on our island would before they arrived on the island would would be to take their shoes, put it in a bag which says <laughs> "no new shoes," uh, so they arrive on the island barefoot. Um, And that allowed us then to create um, less infrastructure. You know, the roads are are soft sand, uh, but compact enough so that the bicycle and the buggies can run, but kind on your feet. Um, You know, it's very nice when you're walking. We we know the benefits now of grounding um, and earthing. For us, it was just a natural gut instinct. But now, obviously, research is showing that apart from being... um, a luxury because it's rare to do that if you're living in a city um it was obviously more sustainable because it meant we didn't have to build tarmac concrete bitumen roads um because people were walking barefoot and some of our public areas are sand rather than uh marbled restaurants or floored restaurants um but but uh you know we've discovered more recently that it's also healthy for you as well so it's a perfect example of where uh something is luxurious but also sustainable in the um
1: Healthy. Yeah. Um, I mean, of, of these many accomplishments, and I, I have to say, well, well, let me ask you this first: all these details that you experience, being or that I, I haven't been at any of your other places, but that we experience during these ten days. I mean, it goes from it goes from the architecture, from the friendliness of the people, the the way the staff interacts with the guests, the, the quality of the food. I mean, you could make a long list of things. Have you all have your hand in this in a, in in a detailed way, or have you? Had yeah,
0: no we're quite involved. so I think I think one of the things you know you you talk about the harmony. um I think the the fact is that um there are other hotels that are built by a, a long boardroom of consultants. So um when we were with Six Senses, when we had Six Senses, which was another brand which I sold, there we were growing by managing other people's hotels. And so I got that experience because um, we had never experienced that before. So the first time I experienced this was when we were talking to other developers who were developing a hotel and they wanted us to operate it for them. And you, you'd walk into this long meeting and it would be about 20 people sitting there, all having some role in designing a hotel. And for him and I, this was really foreign because, you know, we we started as, you know, I was I just graduated from Oxford in 88. I'd met even in 1986, you know, during my first year at university. She'd been traveling. She'd been a very successful model. So she'd managed to travel to really remote places around the world. And on a, on a shoot for a German uh, company back in the 80s, she went to the Maldives when there were only three or four hotels. So as soon as we met each other, because I was from India, we went there on holiday. You know, we, we, we did a trip in India, the north of India, and then we went um, to the Maldives and we were blown away and we kept on coming back again and again. And so finally we had this opportunity to lease this island in 91, but we had no experience in firstly construction, um, operations in Asia, hotels. And so it was all quite foreign to us, but we had a clear vision and our teams were very small. And I think where we had a competitive advantage over these hotels that are designed by these fantastic consultants, but you know, lots of different people, was that there was a consistency, because there was a couple who were designing every detail. So Eva does the interiors, but she was also designing all the crockery as well, and the pencil. Um, So she was involved in the operating equipment as well as the FF&E, the furniture, fixtures, and extras. I was sort of designing the architecture and the field in terms of, you know, the roof materials, the floor materials, the wall materials. And we'd obviously um, collaborate a lot. And so you had this very consistent experience. And then, of course, we had this core purpose of slow life. You know, we articulated, uh, as I said, in a different way. And I can't remember how we'd describe it at the time, but it was really this idea of sustainability and wellness and luxury and all all going hand in hand. And um, so, you know, with that as our core purpose, we we, we started thinking about the food we eat. You know, uh, the food has to be sustainable, but it also has to be healthy for you. You know, hence hence, a big effort in organic gardens and bringing in not just um, a gardener, a horticulturist to just spray pesticides on on our plants and uh, use fertilizer, but instead to look at a permaculturalist who can help us, you know, take our waste and turn it into compost, you know, sustainable living, recycling goals. We kept on having more ambitions on recycling. So it was, it's really our whole experience was like this onion and just continuously peeling it and getting that getting under one layer after the other and new discoveries on recycling and new discoveries on wellness and um you know and i think it, the journey continues um it's a big onion
1: <laughs> which which of these many accomplishments are you most proud of if if, if you can identify one
0: I, yeah i suppose um i think more recently the way um it's, it's not awards um so much you know we were just voted uh, best beach resort in the world by the world's 50 best, which is, has become the Oscars for luxury in travel and tourism because um, they have 16 regional chairs throughout the world. And then each each regional chair chooses 50 judges who are experts in travel. It may be a journalist, it may be a publisher, it may be a, um, a travel agent, it may be someone who's um, a, a TV commentator running a travel show, uh, people who've traveled you know far and wide so they choose these judges. So it's the most comprehensive because you know we've won Condé Nast Traveler, the readers of Condé Nast Traveler UK have voted us the best of all categories, not just the best hotel in Asia, but the best of all categories uh, twice. But this this was a great award because um, it wasn't just one nation, you know, just the UK yeah, and yeah. readers and one yeah. publisher. It was hugely comprehensive. But um, the one the 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 the, the successes um, that I I'm the most proud of. Is when we've dealt more recently with challenges. You know, I believe this uh, phrase more and more as I've gone through challenges in my life, I've sort of uh, come to see the wisdom of Lao Tzu when he says, good fortune has its roots in disaster. And um, I sort of liken human beings and organizations to the coastline. It's the storms that actually define and shape us. And so um, my experiences with cancer on both occasions. How I've overcome those, I, I've been quite proud of those. Um, you know, I think I managed those processes really well. Um, I looked at a crisis as an opportunity to learn and develop and grow. You know, the the Chinese character for crisis is is change and opportunity. Um, and uh, you know, when you think, okay, there's going to be change, but there's also opportunity. It's it's a very nice it's a very nice way of looking at crises. Uh, the COVID pandemic, we we managed that quite well as an organization, and I felt quite proud of all of that as well.
1: Yeah, hopefully this applies to the current crisis we're facing, you know, politically worldwide. And yeah, it, it seems like um, you know wars are breaking out in every corner of the world, and uh, uh, you know, the, I mean, the hatred that goes into it—it's it's really goes back to the same to the same root of you know that that the people somehow have lost the ability to get along, you know, which is, and I always compare this, if you look at a place like LA, mm. you know, everybody who comes here ultimately gets along. I mean, there's almost yes. no, and they come from all places of the world, you know, mm. from from places where they hated each other. So this is an interesting phenomenon, but yeah, I don't want to sidetrack on yeah. this.
0: One. Yeah, but just to sort of touch on what you've just said, I, I, I just feel that um, you, Um, I overall feel that the world is a bit safer, um, in spite of this growing partisanship. I think this, um, the isolationist strategies, um, since World War II, we've prospered and thrived because of, um, these institutions that have tried to allow us to look at the world as one, one place, one people, and bring harmony, whether it's the UN, the World Bank, the IMF. And, um, They've of course been uh, been weakened uh, by governments, and you have more partisanship, especially in the US. It's terrible between the Republicans and the Democrats. Yeah. And oh, yeah, yeah and, and what's happening in Israel is is is, is shocking. Um, and, and of course, Ukraine and Russia. But um, we also the media has a tendency to highlight bad news. Um, and overall, I think we're more enlightened. You know, I think in the internet age, uh, more people. Um, are exposed to more culture travel my industry is growing it's it's um projected to grow at double the rate of the global economy so it now accounts for 12 percent of global employment and of course when you travel you you experience new cultures um mm-hmm. and you see other ways of thinking and it broadens your perspective so um overall i f- i feel positive about that in, in spite of these uh Fox News headlines. <laughs> so um that's you know I think that that's that sort of summarizes, isn't it? Sort of the, the news corp uh, publications just highlighting the negative. Um
1: yeah and I mean that's that's probably another one of those traits besides resilience, you know, to look at the world in a in a in a in a positive so in the long term, you know, I mean who knows what's going to happen in the next hundred years. But in the long term i think these crises that we have right now will hopefully be resolved um and maybe there's going to be a unique uh, planetary consciousness you know a new planetary consciousness that affects everybody that you know we're, we're going to look back at our current ages like the middle ages where people killed each yeah. other with their religions and yeah so let me let, let me come back to something personal you mentioned this about uh, your battle with cancer do, do you want to um, so this is something, so you've gone through this not only once, but twice. For most people, this is probably the most scary situation that they've ever experienced. Um, I mean, what have you learned from that experience and, in and, and right. personally and how, um, how you managed to come out of this, um, hopefully with, you know, long-term
0: cure yeah. and, uh, yeah, so I think a couple of things. So firstly, um, when one needs to make a, an urgent decision and one needs to uh, respond quickly, then one should. But when one has time, one should try and take as much as one's time as one can. So um, when I was diagnosed, uh, the doctor wanted to hospitalise me the next day. And it took a week to find out exactly what I had. And we finally got the diagnosis after the PET scan results came in. The doctor was very matter of fact he said it's stage four lymphoma you have a 50 50 chance here are the statistics and i booked you into the hospital tomorrow we're going to hospitalize you for a month and then you can't travel for six months and um so pack for a month and come back and we might put chemo up your spine and that's all he told me and so it was quite horrific and um i believed in alternative healing and the other things like nutrition um mental state, lifestyle, exercise, all have an impact. And he wasn't offering me any of that. So I paused and I said, look, I've I've still got some time because I'm not gonna die in the next day. Um, So I took three weeks off and those three weeks were very formative. So I think this idea of pausing and taking time when you have the time to make the right decision. And I researched a lot and, you know, Samuel Johnson said, nothing focuses the mind more than the prospect of the hangman's noose uh, Mm -hmm. the next morning. And so, you know, when you have this sort of life-threatening, potentially life-threatening illness, at least, you know, what you're led to think, um, and, you know, I have views on why it's life-threatening, which I can touch upon after this. When when you have that, it, it focuses your mind. So I went into flow, I read a lot. And three weeks later, I sort of came to a conclusion that, Um, I needed to do the chemotherapy because it was quite progressed and there was a very high success rate of the chemo. Uh, You know, when he said I had a 50-50 chance, um, when you started analyzing that in detail, and that's the problem with doctors and statistics, um, you really need to take doctors as consultants um, and make your own decision and you have to be the CEO of your body and you have to do what feels right to you because if you don't feel the cures right, and you're just following someone else's prescription, then you're not really gonna cure yourself, but you've got to believe what you're doing is right. And, um, uh, you know, when he said I had a 50, 50 chance, you know, I suddenly sort of looked at the average age and I was mid range. So I was most probably around number 50 based on my age. I was 54 or 52, I didn't smoke. So I was already in the better half. Uh, I could do 20, 30 push-ups at a go. So my level of fitness was better. So I was was from being in, in, a 50 50 chance around round number 50 i was soon sort of a noun number one or two or three in 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 the survival so that changed my perspective and then of course i offered complementary treatments i did a lot of complementary treatments that's why i went to istanbul because they don't offer that when i did the chemo the, the nutrition um hyperbaric oxygen hypothermia so that i learned a lot about um um so firstly decisions move fast move slowly um as when you have a medical condition, you have to be the CEO of your body because, you know, we're all so different. We know we're discovering more and more. That science is teaching us that everyone has an individual DNA. So no one human being is the same. And it's not one one solution fixes all. You know, each individual is different. And so, you know, what can the doctor do? I mean, he can't know what's good for every single person. He can he can advise you based on his learning and what he's read. But then you also have to form other opinion, uh, find other opinions and form your own decision. So I think that sort of take ownership of your health, I think, was a very important learning as well. Um, this thing about sort of crises and you know, if you take crises in a positive a- approach, it can be very beneficial because you will change. You will learn new things. And um, I learned a considerable amount of wellness about wellness. So it was it was very scary at the beginning. Um you know, the uncertainty. And then even those three weeks, which I took off, they were unsettling because I didn't sleep very well because I didn't have a clear plan. I was researching, but then after three weeks of research, I had a plan to go to Istanbul. I was resolved that I would definitely cure myself. I was 100% sure about that. And um, I was also excited because I felt it was gonna be an interesting journey and it was going to be an interesting six months of my life where i'd learn a lot i'd meet new people learn a new culture and so Ava and i after that you know we were sitting there at watching the sunset having a glass of champagne and i said to her um you know if i were to rewrite history i wouldn't and um she says you know you're quite right too it was a great experience for me and then we listed out 37 reasons why i was grateful for what happened so um it, it it's a funny thing you know it's, it's 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 a very scary thing and you don't want to wish that on anyone but in the end of the day it actually defined me and it shaped me and um it, it was a blessing um having it come back again was a bore but i again learned new things um and um, at this point i've had enough of that and i just wanted to come back again for a third time <laughs> yeah
1: that's that's really an amazing part of your story um so, in in the last few minutes, so one one point that I w- was going to address is, um, so you were talking about luxury in the beginning and how you redefine luxury, um, and and there's also something about happiness. I I think um, you know people often don't get the happiness that they look after if they look for material luxury goods to sort of measure this in, and there's sort of this new science. Um, a colleague of mine, collaborator, UCLA. Um, who's who's working in in, in this area of social genomics, and um, this attitude of of eudaimonia that um, Aristotle has come up with, where you do um, not just things that make you happy, but to contribute to the world, um, meaningful things um, that benefit others, have a bigger purpose, and I think, in many ways, just listening to you, I mean, i I you know, I have the the impression that that's really a philosophy that you live by. i mean, there's there's a lot of things that you do for the for the greater good. I mean, like for the environment, you wouldn't need to have to do this. You know, you wouldn't have to do your composting and um, um, you know, help a lot of people on this on on these islands with employments. so is 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 this something I mean, are you doing this consciously or do you, is is this something you've always had instilled in your value system?
0: Yeah, um, sure. Um, I think um, it's become more and more over the last years as I, you know, one one always evolves, you know, so we had the value system that were, how do you say, inculcated into me by my father and his influence and Ava's influence to an extent, and my my education at Eton, which I mentioned, was a real blessing and um, was a very formative period for me. And the values that that institution, um, my father, etc., built on me. But then, as as we learn and as we evolve, and you know, we learn and we experience, we evolve as well. And so, you know, I've I've, I've come to realize that um, you know the, the 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 real sort of key to to life and the meaning of life is the relationships we create. And the bonds we create, and um, when you help someone else, you're you're strengthening a relationship in a way, and you're actually healing yourself. So I think there's a lot of research on how, you know, if you take a walk for, walk in the park, and you say hello to people, you're continuously stroking yourself. Um, you know, your your there's a, a love signal going up your vagus nerve, and and that's terribly healthy for you as well. You're improving your health um you know we know about epigenetics and you know the messages that are going down into the cells. so so I, I think this idea of love as an operating system um and relationships is is very important and that's enable we try and use love as an operating system and love you know um in in the way of um recognizing a genuine other so um and building strong bonds um we we there's a lot of research um that we've you know we we know about at Suneva so and we are, are always sort of trying to, you know, improve our knowledge on, um, on 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 what makes successful organizations. But, you know, Google have done a lot of research and for them, it's um, it's cognitive diversity um, that leads to successful teams. So it's not like having, you know, uh, 100 sort of top students uh, of a top university um, that doesn't give you the cognitive diversity um psychological safety is very important and psychological safety really comes from this sort of love operating system you know treating someone as a genuine other um this idea of the leader being the um on the mountain and belaying his team members so they've got a rope and they're climbing up the mountain he's encouraging them to climb but he's holding on to the ropes if they fall he catches them you know creating the sense of psychological safety i think is, is very important and then for us, um, you know, we believe it's an ever that purpose. You know, having an alignment of purpose becomes very important, and so that again touches upon the point you mentioned. You know, this uh, eudaimonia, where you're helping other people, and um, in a way, you know, if an organisation has a purpose to, as I mentioned earlier, to um, do something more than just enrich uh, the shareholders, like Ava and I and our partners, and have a general benefit to society. And if our hosts um, are, you know, have a purpose that's aligned to our purpose, then of course um, that leads to the magical service. So, you know, you talked about the magical experience of our hosts. I believe that our slow life whole purpose rings true to them because um, I mentioned earlier, um, slow life is also an acronym because we have 30 to 40 languages. So it stands for sustainable local organic wellness, learning, inspiring, fun experiences. So that first L in slow life stands for local. So we don't just hire from the Maldives, we hire from the local islands. And, you know, we don't have employees, we have hosts. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine walking onto an island with 350 hosts who generally come from the neighboring islands, mm-hmm. rather island of international employees. The experience is bound to be different just based on the language and, and how we source people. But then what what sort of makes it even stronger is that we have our core purpose, Slow Life. So now we start engaging with the local community, um eliminating the single use of plastic um helping you know we recycle 93 percent of our waste but now doing that on na- neighboring islands setting up waste to wealth centers on three neighboring islands 23 other islands have um we help them with um their waste management uh reduce uh water bottling plants like we have on our island avoiding hundred thousand plastic bottles this makes our hosts very happy to be samabians because um you know when they go to their local islands they're recognized by their colleagues about what we do and so they're proud sunavians and they wake up every morning wanting to create magic for our guests and so in a way um um our whole philosophy uh, our core purpose this idea of understanding the importance of relationships and then in terms of motivation we believe strongly that it's not about carrot and stick and we believe that in the 21st century when you want people to collaborate so, you know, your experience at Seneva Pushi was the result of a collaboration of many different skills. You know, Seneva, we've we, sort of, we believe strongly that um, extrinsic motivation like carrot and stick, you know, uh, bonuses and, uh, you know, punishment and threats um, undermine performance in the 21st century. So if you want someone to just paint a wall or move a bag of rice from A to B, then that works but if you want people to collaborate and so you know we're talking about your experience yeah that's right i was talking about your experience so your experience is 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 a, is a, is a it's it, it, it's a co- collection of inputs from various people so you know just going and having lunch so you've got the waiter who's thought very carefully about some of our sops and best practices about the location of your chair um uh how it should be um He wants to make sure you have shade, so he's dependent on the gardener to ensure that they've clipped things back a bit. Um, There may be, um, uh, the table may be a bit dirty, so the carpenter's got to come and help, sort that out. Um, And then you're going to go to uh, the buffet and you're going to see in in the cold room various dishes, which the chef have made. But the chef's also very dependent on the the gardener Mm -hmm. who's produced that fresh rocket salad because you know, the, the food's great, but the ingredients are fantastic. And that helps a lot, you know, as, as you know, very humble top chefs say, uh, you know, the, the key to good food is good ingredients. So it's not just having um a horticulturalist, it's a permaculturalist who's thinking about how they can enrich the soil. And then it goes back again, because the horticulturalist now needs good compost, the compost is coming from the, the kitchen who are sending their waste food and purchasing who's sending the old cardboard from the things they brought. They're sending it to the waste to wealth center. And then the waste to self wealth manager is turning that into compost and sending it to the permaculturalist. Um the gardeners are taking the, the, the branches off the tree, uh, giving it to the waste to wealth. Sorry, the, the waste to wealth manager who puts it in a in a pyrolysis oven, he turns it into charcoal, but he's got a biochar. He gives it again to the permaculturist who then creates that fantastic salad. So it's all intertwined. So if you're going to have various people collaborating together, uh, carrots and sticks don't work. It's all about giving people a sense of autonomy, um, about the team they work with, the tactics, the tasks, you know, provided they have the overall objective and the time they take to do it. It's it's about mastery, allowing them to improve and Uh, being proud every day as they improve and perfect what they're doing. So if they have a sense of pride in creating the most fantastic compost or creating that most fantastic charcoal brick or the permaculturist creating that the most amazing rocket salad, if that's their pride, then that's obviously going to help the chef, whose pride is going to be to create the most amazing meal, which is then going to help the waiter because the guest is in a good mood because he's eating well. And then he's going to deliver a great service. So, you know, it's all interrelated. And so I think this idea of autonomy, mastery and purpose is is, is very important. And it's intrinsic motivations that really drive people. So what we do is we pay a basic salary that is um, in the top 75 percentile of salaries paid in the area. Uh, There's the service charge. And then and then that's it. You know, we take the money off the table and we focus on other incentives, which is all uh, intrinsic incentives, motivation.
1: I mean, listening to you, this and and having experienced this, um, and, and I have to say, you know, it's it's a first in life for me and uh, for my wife as well. Um, you've really created this ecosystem of wellness with yeah. a lot of, um, you know, this is something that that I deal a lot with in my science with the microbiome with. The the health of ecosystems and the diversity and the richness of an ecosystem that determines like overall the health of the organism and what you've just told me about is is one of the richest ecosystems that i have ever heard about in terms of you know the hospitality business and um going 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 way beyond the hospitality and and way beyond the happiness of of your guests it's really it's it's it spreads that happiness and satisfaction across hundreds of miles thousands of miles possibly to other places of the islands and uh, other places of the indian ocean so right. yeah, this has really been remarkable
0: thank you emran that's very kind um of your to, to have your time and thank you for your compliments and for having me on, on on your podcast
1: thanks a lot for doing this and with with gratitude to, yeah. you, to your wife for this amazing experience
0: great and I didn't read your book before the festival but I'm looking forward to reading it because I got a whole pack of books um uh uh you know from 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 the um from Malser our, our uh yeah. book, 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 book shop bookkeeper so um, I'm looking forward to reading it